Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Gen Z Mafia podcast. This is the show where you get a glimpse into our amazing community of builders. And today, Rahul will be interviewing the founder of Product Hunt, Ryan Hoover. Ryan is an incredible investor and a legendary builder, so we're really excited to share our conversation with him with you. Let's start. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me sneak into the uh, the Gen Z Discord here. <laughs> so what got you here? What got you from being a school kid or a college kid to a point where you were actually building a community for makers and for builders? And how did that happen? I'm trying to think of how far back I should go. But I guess my entrepreneurial start really was when I was a kid. My father and, and parents have been entrepreneurs. They've actually owned businesses together since I was born. And and I, I learned a lot from them, especially my dad. And they gave me really cool opportunities to like run the gumball machine at the video game store they owned and some other things like that, that really led me to realize that you can make money with not just your time. Like I've always hated being paid hourly. <laughs> I always loved the idea of like getting paid for what you create, like the value you create in some way. And so Anyway, that's always appealed to me. And, and so kind of fast forward, I went to University of Oregon, got a degree in business with a focus on entrepreneurship. And it was actually through that that I stumbled across this internship opportunity in uh, a video game company in Eugene, Oregon, which I think there were maybe two. There really aren't very, very many tech companies in Eugene, Oregon, where I'm from. And there was this internship opportunity, an unpaid internship. And I, I applied. I thankfully got the job. And that was really my my break into I would say like startups and technology. And I learned a ton from there. So fast forward, I, I worked in marketing, ultimately got hired after I graduated and fell into product management. And then that led me to ultimately move to San Francisco to join a different company. And to kind of get to your question around community building, when I moved to San Francisco, at first I was really just focused on work. And this is 2010, 2011. I was really focused on building tools for game developers. And so I spent a lot of my time thinking about that, a lot of my time wireframing ideas. And I loved it. It was super fun. Then it was maybe around 2012 when I started writing more and being just more of a citizen, for lack of a better word, in the tech community. So I started writing more about my curiosities and technology and meeting with more people in tech and building kind of more of a network, not in the traditional cheesy networking sense. I actually hate the word networking and and actually think that people should not be so transactional about it. But it was really about connecting with people and you know meeting a lot of people. And that then led to hosting some brunches with like founder friends and people in technology, doing a couple other side projects that were actually very much community driven. One being Startup Edition, which I, I worked on with Nathan Bashaw. And through all of that, I learned a lot about community building and technology and built more of a network. And that all happened kind of well before Product Hunt began. Right. I, I saw you once write on a blog piece, how you actually broke down a lot of products and got a job because of that. So one of those was breaking down Snapchat and just like talking about things like why Snapchat camera is like the first screen and why it's so non-intuitive to others. And that was a beautiful piece. So like, do you want to talk more about it as in the process of writing and how you got other people to hear you? Yeah, well, uh, first thing I'll say is a lot of people have this anxiety, especially people younger in their career, have this anxiety about sharing information online or putting anything out there, whether it's a blog post, a podcast, uh, 
even a tweet. <laughs> Some people have like even anxiety about a single tweet. And my perspective is in one sense, nobody cares, like especially when you're quote unquote a nobody, <laughs> like nobody really cares um, what you put out there. So in some ways, the earlier in your career, you have this affordance, this ability to throw anything out there and it might take off and you might, you know, build some relationships through that or, you know, build more of a following or or you might not and nobody cares. <laughs> so that's certainly something that I I think I embraced maybe without realizing it, you know, earlier in my career as I, I just write stuff and put it on the internet. And I found it fun. I, I used to spend about two hours writing, one to two hours writing every single morning, actually. And uh, a lot of that turned into blog posts I never finished. But I did put out a lot of, I think it was in 2012, like 150 or so blog posts uh, was kind of the peak. And I'm not going to lie. Much of what I wrote, maybe it wasn't actually that good. Um, maybe maybe it wasn't, a lot of it wasn't even right. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter in a sense. Like I think putting content on the internet, as long as you're not a fraud and you're not saying something that's untrue, I think is a good thing. And it creates a lot of serendipity. And so one category of, of blog posts that I really loved writing about was really just looking at products like Snapchat or Tinder or others that I thought were really interesting that were taking off. And I tried to really understand like why why did they make these design decisions? Like why why did they open to the camera first in Snapchat? Like that's counterintuitive. That's that's what no other app does that. <laughs> um, why is that? And it was really more of an introspective process to try to understand the decisions behind the product itself. And and I use that then to articulate what I believe to be true. Um, you know, maybe some of it was wrong. I think a lot of it was right. Um, but ultimately, it was a vehicle to learn and a vehicle to put things in the internet that led to a lot of serendipity. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that people still don't believe you on? Something that you wrote on a blog post back then about a product? Uh, I'm, I'm sure probably. I I don't really look at my old blog posts, so <laughs> maybe even I disagree with some of it. <laughs> I don't really remember. So I'm sure that there's some things I've changed my mind on. But at the end of the day, that's also something that we should be comfortable with. If you still agree with every single thing you wrote in the past, then something's probably off. Like either you're, you're like a fortune teller, <laughs> which is probably not reality uh or maybe you're just not evolving your thinking so how did it begin what are the first few things that started about product hunt and how did you decide to quit your job or like go completely in how did it begin from a side project to a whole thing so how was that journey like yeah so my my path was a little bit atypical i think um and this is something i, I think a lot about actually is how do you how do you give people structure and ability to to be able to start a company most people a lot of people want to start, but they really don't have the means, whether it's financial or social. There's there's a lot of factors that go into starting a company. And before Product and I actually was at a company called Playhaven. And I joined when we were around like 10 people or so, and we grew to about 100, went through a merger. And it was around after three and a half years that I ultimately decided I wanted to do something different. And I had the idea to to quit or at least give my notice before I knew what I was going to do next. And my, my backup plan was, okay, well, if, if this doesn't work out, if I don't find another job somewhere else, then I'll just go get a job somewhere else or just go back to my parents' house in Eugene, Oregon. And thankfully, I had that safety net, which would, would have not been my ideal scenario, but at least it was there. And that ultimately led into a part-time role. And so this is something that most people don't think about at all is if I do want to start a company, how do I... Uh, maybe ease into it. I don't think many people ask to leave or, or switch into a part-time role. And the reality is a lot of people probably don't have that opportunity, but some I think do, and they never think about it or realize it. 
for me, I moved into a part-time role where I made less money, but at least I made enough to pay my rent in San Francisco. And it was during that time over about six or so months, I was a combination of interviewing for other companies and then also tinkering with other ideas, um, other startup ideas or project ideas. And it was really during that time that Product Hunt started and kind of gave me the the time to be able to tinker and then grow Product Hunt before committing to it full time and, and going all in. Mm-hmm. Tell us about other ideas that you had back then. My focus, to be quite honest, was mostly on looking at other companies to join. So I actually interviewed at Medium back when they were super early on. I interviewed at MessageMe, which was a, a messaging app started by Arjun Sethi. This is like 2013. Mostly what I was looking at is companies that of products that I used and loved. I have a lot of admiration for Medium. MessageMe was really innovative um, at the time. But in terms of other projects, like prior prior to that time, I was tinkering with other ideas. One was, <laughs> one was actually, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the company that actually started this, but it was a on-demand um, laundry service. I don't remember. I'm trying to remember the exact, exact name of the company that actually did this about two years later. But anyway, I I thought that okay, well, in San Francisco, a lot of people actually don't have washers and dryers, which to me seemed kind of crazy coming from Oregon, where it's like a norm, <laughs> but part of this is just like density um, of space. And and two, a lot of people in San Francisco have money, but they don't have time. And so I'm like, okay, maybe they'll pay some money to not have to go to the laundromat and do their their wash. I thought the idea was interesting and that there might be market demand. So I built like a landing page and started thinking through the the model and everything. And I, I ultimately never even like shared it or put it on, on the internet because I realized that sounds like maybe a promising idea, but like a very boring business that I'm probably not suited to build. <laughs> it just didn't sound exciting to me, to be quite honest, even though it might have been lucrative or there might have been like something there. And I think that experience actually taught me this bias towards like building something that I'm really excited about. It doesn't mean you have to be a customer or a user of the product that you're building, but I think it helps a lot. So Product Hunt is not like a typical startup. It's not like a software thing that just scales. It's far more like a community of people who are just getting together who are posting about their products. How did you came from like hundreds of ideas to focusing on this one thing that could like just grow up or become big? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't super scientific about it or methodical. And to be honest, I actually didn't explore hundreds of ideas. Product Net was very organic. It was really based on my interests and curiosities. And that's what I've always kind of tried to follow is like, what am I excited about? What am I curious about? And how do I put something out there and just explore more of that? So for me, it was very much just based on, okay, let me see if this thing works. The, the beauty of Product Hunt and many other companies is that it wasn't like I, I actually didn't even spend a day working on it, the, the first version. It was an email list that took 20 minutes to set up. And so I think in some ways, some people overthink things <laughs> and they're like, oh, I got to come up with my brilliant billion dollar business idea. And then they ideate and they think through a bunch of different ideas and they do all this planning and, and then they never actually ship anything. And that's not to say you shouldn't do planning by any means. There's a certain, certainly a lot of businesses that require a ton of planning and, and a ton of capital and, and a ton of product to build. But I think a lot of ideas can start really, really simple. And especially if you're building a community, like what you have right here on Discord is a community that could evolve into many, many different things. And what you've built already is actually the hard part for a lot of things. I think building an audience and building a community of people who are aligned in some way, whether it's values or interests, 
that's actually the hard part. That's kind of how I, I followed. I wish I had, I had like a five-step plan or like <laughs> some sort of framework to give you on this. But I think my general advice or, or feeling is like, what are you curious about and excited about? And just follow that and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How were the early days like? So how was the journey from just starting it and having it blow up, having the sort of engagement and then getting into YC and then further along? It was super fun, frankly. Fun might be not the answer that people expect me to say, but like it was really, really freaking fun. Part of the reason it was like the the product found some level of product market fit pretty quickly. And that lended itself to a lot of market pull. And what I mean by that is the the community and users were telling us kind of what features, both explicitly and implicitly, like what things to build. And so when that happens, it's a lot less painful to build a company because you simply just have to observe and be smart about those observations and then build for that. And and so the the first few years, I would say, is just very much driven by almost this natural like market pull. So certainly fun is one word I would use to describe it. I think another one is some anxieties, no doubt. So some people may not know this, but Product Hunt was a side project. It wasn't even incorporated for maybe four or five months into it. And so even though it got traction pretty quickly and it was growing, I think like 50% week over week for, for a number of weeks, we really weren't sure what we wanted to do with it in the beginning. And I knew I wanted to work on it, but I wasn't 100% sure if I wanted to raise VC capital. So I had a conversation actually with Gary Tan about this. At the time, he was at Y Combinator, one of the partners there. And I basically asked him that question. I was like, hey, what advice do you have for me? And, and you know, I don't know if we want to raise VC money. And um, YC was, was essentially expressing interest in having us go through the program or, or at least asked us to apply. And so it was kind of around that time that, you know, this is five months in, things are growing, going really, really well. I just really wanted to make sure I was confident that we could turn this into something big if we were to go down that path. And so ultimately we decided to raise money and, and ultimately the money was used to hire people. You know, that's, that's I think, the, the primary reason most people raise money, um, or at least it should be for most businesses. So yeah, there's a lot of anxiety too. And just, okay, now I've made this commitment. We have all these people that I've essentially made a promise to, and now we need to to really execute and continue growing at this pace. A lot of the early feelings are fun and anxiety and <laughs> I would say excitement and all of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have a few questions about your product and journey. I'll just ask them out. So what's what's one of the most interesting and memorable story about Heart that most people don't know about. One of the the themes that comes up often, um, a lot of times we actually don't hear these stories. Uh, we only hear probably a small fraction of them. But the the stories of just someone who, whether it's like a teenager in the middle of nowhere, builds a, a product and for the very first time, they have this influx of users who are trying it out and, and giving them feedback and those types of things. And so we've gotten a lot of of positive feedback from makers and, and people around the world really expressing thank, uh, gratitude. And it's not really about getting users for that particular product. It, it's really more about that feeling and that nudge and that confidence that it gives people to pursue building products or technology or starting a company. And so there's a number of different stories that that have kind of happened over the years. And um, I don't tr- take credit for it. I, I, I give, I would say like the, product and community is, is really the one to, to give credit to for these things. Um, but one that jumps out to me that is, is interesting because I, I literally was DMing with AJ earlier today. AJ is the, the founder of Card, 
which I'm assuming probably a lot of you know of it, but for those that don't, it's a really simple site to create a one page landing page for anything. And he launched on on product hunt, I think, I think it was around 2014 and he wasn't actively launching it. Just, it was just essentially just posted and it got a ton of traction, you know, for the, for its time. And it really, in many ways, accelerated, I think, um, adoption for card. Now today I won't share numbers cause it's not my numbers to share, but it's doing incredibly well. If you search on, on Twitter right now for the card domain, that's C-A-R-R-D.co you'll see probably within the past 10 seconds, someone shared their card website on the internet. So it's it's widely used. And what's incredible about that is he built it himself <laughs> over these years, like a single developer, a single person. Stories like that are really encouraging because I've stayed in touch with AJ now over the years and we've chatted on the phone a bunch. And it's cool to see Protestant be a, a small part in that like early kind of journey and beginnings. Yeah, it's so incredible that everything that ends up becoming big has like a very, very humble beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think the people who are like starting our product hunt is sort of a relief that there does exist something where you could just drop a post, tell them what you've built, and there would be like an excited group of early adopters who like go through the product, be enthusiastic about it, tell you what works, what does not work. And that's just that's just a fantastic thing to have existed in the world. And that's that's something that if I am a builder right now, that's like what I think about it. Yeah, the way uh, the, the, I've described product and, and Twitter and, and I would say a lot of other communities is like serendipity machines. <laughs> like they, they're places where you put things that out in the internet. Sometimes nothing happens. No one listens, no one responds, no one looks at it. And then other times it blows up into, you know, in the case of product it might be a bunch of users. It might be um, an investor that reaches out, which leads to a round of funding. It might be a reporter who sees it and then writes about it, which then, you know, spirals into a lot more coverage. So I don't know. That's why I love communities so much is that on the internet, you can put things out there. And the more you put out there, that's, you know, hopefully useful or valuable to some people, the more potential opportunity or or positive serendipity will occur. Have you seen any common themes across uh, the apps that get really popular on Product Hunt? And also, what's like the weirdest product that got popular, which you did not expect at all? Uh, I mean, it, uh, there's definitely a wide range. Some people who are maybe less familiar with product hunt have this assumption that it's only consumer apps or products in that sense. And the reality is, since we do have a quite a wide range of people across the world, and also people from different roles, whether it's like engineering, marketing, product management, you know, design, all across the board. Because it's it's quite diverse in that sense, all kinds of products can appeal. And so whether it's like a B2B product for something boring, like some sort of infrastructure developer tool, that actually sometimes does really well. And so I think the 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 things that have tended to do the the best though, if I was to try to like put my hat on on a trend or a category, it's certainly with the product and community, it's certainly things around productivity or things that help them do better in their job in some way. And so sometimes the really simple tools that are about doing something that you already do, but much better or more efficiently. Let's take Superhuman as like just one example that we all know. That is a type of product that does really well with the product and audience because a lot of it is a combination of early adopters, but it's also people who are looking to further themselves, whether it's personally or professionally in some way. And they see product as a way to find like the next 
tools that are going to help them with that before anyone else. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest thing? We've seen a lot of weird things. One of my favorites, yeah. actually, I'm forgetting what it's called, but you can, it's a service where you actually send them a photo. It could be of yourself. It could be a friend, your your partner, whoever. And they'll create a little like voodoo doll, like a little like plushy doll version of them <laughs> that kind of looks like them in a way. Every year it's like December and I'm like, I should buy one of these for my partner, Susie. But then I realized it takes like six weeks to make because it won't make it in time for, for Christmas. For me, it was Apple smelled candles, uh, new mm. MacBook smelled candles. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, so I did, I did buy a weird product uh, yesterday, the 30 second dance party button. I don't know if you saw Uh that, but uh, it's a physical button. And when you press it, it plays music for 30 seconds and you just dance and that's it. So I bought eight of them yesterday because I don't know, I thought it would would be fun and it might make a good gift. So when you think about community and building tools to ensure that the community becomes more vibrant, more healthy. How do you come from, okay, these are the goals for the community, probably could be metrics, could be just building a healthy community where you expect people to do such things to actually translating them to tools or rituals or announcements or cultural things that actually happen and like shift the community. So how do you translate this vision into executing towards those goals? Yeah, I think... In the beginning, a lot of it was trying to observe what was happening. So what behaviors or patterns were already kind of emerging and then how do we build for those? And then others were just like, frankly, it was like, this sounds fun and this sounds like it could be cool. (laughs) One example of that is we started the Golden Kitty Awards a long time ago. I think it was maybe in the first year of Product Hunt or maybe it was like into our second year. And... First off, we called them the Golden Kitty Awards uh, just because we thought it was kind of cute and funny and playful, which is part of our like values at <laughs> Product Hunt is playfulness. And what it is, for those that don't know, is every year in January, we open up to the community an opportunity to vote on the products that they found the most interesting for the year, most useful across different categories. So in some ways, it's like a very much a t- tongue-in-cheek kind of like traditional awards kind of approach. But you know, we have categories for like best mobile app of the year, best you know developer tool product of the year, best design tool, best WTF product, which you know uh, maybe 30 second button might make it in there. Uh, we'll see. But the, the community votes on what they think is most interesting. And then we ultimately open it up and kind of like show off these awards. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up is earlier this morning, I was speaking with Emily, who's GM at Product Hunt, and I've been working with her for now over five years. And she's she, along with the team, is taking a lead on on this coming Golden Kitty Awards, which we'll be doing in January. And we're this time going to be doing a little differently. So to get to kind of your question, part of part of what we try to do is think about how do we keep doing what works? How do we do what people seem to like and what people engage with? But then how do we do it differently and, and kind of elevate it each time? And so with, with this next Golden Kitties, um, we haven't shared this yet, but we'll be doing uh, a live stream kind of awards show. Um, of course, through the internet, everyone can participate. But instead of just publishing like a list of the awards and the winners, we'll be doing a little bit differently. And we'll have like a really cool host that I'm excited about and some other fun surprises. So part of it is really how do you keep instrumenting or or bringing new ideas or or just changing things up for the community and get people excited? There's so many different things that Product Hunt does that nobody else probably pushing on the side of community has actually executed on. 
one of those is a new tab page which just shows you all the products of that day and that's been my new tab page for i think five years now and <laughs> nice. it's had my day and that's that's one of the most beautiful things that not many people do and these are like all tiny things that are scattered all through the internet that product hunt has done that have been just amazing at building that sort of community yeah fun backstory on that um so andreas who cto at product hunt for for a long time he he actually built the first version of that before he joined product hunt he was just a fan and him and I were like jamming on ideas and stuff. And, and he built the first version of that Chrome extension before we had an API. So he's just like scraping the site and everything. And it was that moment that it sparked my, my interest where I was like, maybe I should be chatting with this guy. Like maybe we should be working together. And since then, of course, we've evolved it a little bit, but fundamentally it's, it's still the simple, here's a list of, of the products of the day. Have you named the kitty Avoid? Not formally. I don't know who named it or how it came up, but some people call him or her the glasshole kitty because he or she, I don't know even what gender he is or she is, <laughs> is wearing Google glasses, um, hence the name. But yeah, we, we've never named it. So I don't know. I don't know. Should we? It's, I feel like it's too late now. <laughs> so how did your role evolve as the company grew? Like maybe going through the acquisition, like, how was your role as a CEO? And now that you've gone through it, what do you identify as some qualities of a good CEO? And like, how do you think about those things now? I think uh, th this is a hard thing for a lot of people is when you start a company, you tend to do everything. So in the beginning, it was everything from product to customer support, everything except engineering in, in some form or another. And then, of course, as you grow, you have to hire and, and you have to not do those things <laughs> or not do all of those things rather. There's definitely some areas where I could have done things better or differently. I think I held on to certain things for too long. And this is very classic for a lot of CEOs to do is not fully let go of some responsibilities. You know, our team was never huge. Today, we're just under 20 people or so full-time. And that's about how big we've been. I think maybe at our peak, we were maybe like 22 people full-time, but we've never been a large company. So to be honest, in some sense, we're still... And it always have been a small enough company where I, as in the CEO role, would still do a lot of things. But ultimately, I need to to give more autonomy and let people ultimately run with. Um, let's take let's take design as just one example. Giving mm -hmm. designers, especially good designers, product designers, they need the the room and the flexibility to run with ideas. It doesn't mean you can't sketch some ideas and like give some direction, but. You ultimately don't want to do the wireframes, you know, for someone because that will stifle their creativity and their own ideas. And so there's things like that that I had to shift into instead of doing all the wireframes, it was at most sketching and then having a lot of conversations with product design and engineering and so on. So that's a classic thing to adapt to for a lot of people. So how have you started to think about from just a community to a business perspective, mm. to a company perspective, to acquisition and then leading after that? Yeah. So for those that don't know, I stepped down as CEO about two, about two months ago now, and it'd been seven years since product had started. Ultimately, I felt it was just time to, to move on and explore some new ideas, looking at the same problem and, and working on product for seven years is, is, a, is a long time. And at the same time, Josh is, is the new CEO and, and he, he hasn't shared the vision yet uh, intentionally. So it's pretty freaking exciting. Next year is going to be I think people will be surprised. And so part of that transition even more recently has been quite new for me. I'm still involved and, and still, um, you know, last week we actually did a whole retrospective and roadmap planning and a bunch of other things. So I'm still very actively involved, but I also have to 
keep my distance in a sense. And, you know, I, I will still share my opinions, but I know that now it's not my show to run. <laughs> and this is true in different forms. I think also as companies grow and, and people hire other people, you have to ultimately hire the right people and trust them to run with it. And if they're not executing, then you you have to find somebody else. And I know the worst is kind of when you're in this middle ground where maybe you hire someone who maybe isn't the right fit or not quite capable of filling the role. And then you kind of like, try to fill in those gaps yourself. And then as a CEO, especially, then you're stretched super thin. And second, like I'm not the best designer. I'm not the best like community builder. I'm not the best probably anything. <laughs> like I should probably be hiring people who are better than me and all these things. And to be quite transparent, like I think, I think that's something that I could have thought more deeply about is just like my job as a CEO or really any CEO um, at some point in a company's trajectory is to to ultimately recruit, that's like almost your number one thing. Recruit and keep money in the bank. What are some of your hiring principles or some things that you look for when you're recruiting people? So one lens that we look at specific to product hunt is we we do have these values that we try to hire for, but also we use these values to kind of frame our community. And this this applies to the newsletter, to the copy on the website, to the way that we interact with the community itself. And if one is curious, like curiosity, and we feel that product and ultimately is, is a place for curious people. Like if, if you're visiting, hopefully you're curious about new technology or curious about new products. And that also lends itself to a little bit of an optimistic perspective. Like curiosity is kind of an input into like, what about this? And rather than like a pessimistic kind of perspective. And so curiosity is certainly one aspect that we look for. Another one is actually kittenish, which means playful. <laughs> It doesn't mean that you have to be the the funniest person by any means. Like you don't have to be funny at all. But I think you need to have ideally like a playful attitude and someone that is, is someone that you can work with. I think that's important to having a positive and, and healthy and optimistic kind of culture inside of a company. So independent of kind of the more of those culture values, I think a lot of what we look for is people's goals and like why are you joining? <laughs> and I think some people have depending on the company, some people have different motivations for joining companies. And that's that's okay. Not everyone has to have the same motivation, but there is a subset of people that sometimes have motivations that are actually counter to the company's goal or mission. And what I mean by that, I'll speak to product hunt because that's what I know. There's certainly this feeling where some people might be motivated more to get attention for being at product hunt and being... Um, how do I say this? Almost to get fame in a sense. And this doesn't happen very often, but every now I can, it has happened a few times where it felt like there was a desire for fame more so than like serving the community and building our mission. And that's, that's maybe a unique trap at Product Hunt that maybe other companies don't face as much because it's such a community driven ecosystem and, and public facing company. But there's things like that that we try to to filter out now that we've kind of learned from some of those mistakes. Otherwise, there's a lot of like the cliche kind of basic stuff too, like are they exceptional at their job? <laughs> and that's sometimes really hard to figure out. So in some cases, we try to do like a contract to hire if if we can, where it's like, let's work t- together for two months. And if it doesn't work for you, if it doesn't work for us, then we'll happily part ways. That's not always possible, but when we can do that, I think it's ideal because, you know, the company you choose to work at is such a big commitment on both sides. Hey, right. And that's beautiful. So
so what do you see ahead of yourself like how do you plan to spend your time what do you plan to do do you have any ideas just talking to a friend about this earlier today i'm spending most of my time investing on the work side so for those that don't know i i started weekend fund about just over three and a half years ago with the first fund we're now on second fund uh, which is 10 million dollar fund investing like 100 to 200k check size into early stage companies and that's super fun. I enjoy that. It has a lot of parallels to Product Hunt in the sense that it's a lot about like finding compelling ideas, founders, companies, products, but certainly supporting them in different ways. So we get to get a lot more hands-on than I do with the average Product Hunt launch, to say the least. And so I'm spending a lot of time there. I'm also trying not to work as much also, to be quite honest. So I, I bought a, a PC a couple of months ago. I'm currently playing Warzone, Call of Duty Warzone, which... There's a new game mode that came out uh, called Rebirth. If any of you are playing it, it's amazing. It's super fun. <laughs> and it's also been a really fun way to stay in touch with some of my friends back in San Francisco. I moved to LA last year. And so I'm trying to take a little bit of a breather and also try not to jump into anything and, and rush into anything. That said, I, I'll be quite honest. I also have this a little bit like uh, anxiety might be too strong of a word. It's maybe like onset anxiety to eventually figure out what I want to like sink my teeth into and investing will always be I think part of my life in some form but I, I ultimately want to build stuff um, create stuff that's where I get the most energy and and figuring out what that is is a little bit daunting to be honest but I'm optimistic I'll figure it out next year mm -hmm. what are some early thoughts that you probably have like what are the big ideas or technologies that you think are going to be very, very impactful just from the top of your head? Yeah, I have this ongoing list of like side project ideas. I don't call them startup ideas. I call them side project ideas, so, which even then might be too strong of a word. Maybe they should be called experiments because I like that framing better. But I don't know. A lot of them are actually not like big ideas. They're actually just like cool little things that I think might be be kind of fun. Like one idea, which I might build some at some point, is... Uh, so part of it's inspired by iOS widgets, and I think widgets are underutilized. Like I haven't seen a lot of exploration with widgets. And the mm -hmm. idea is basically like a 24-7 radio channel, and you put it on your phone, there's an iOS widget, and it always shows you what song is playing, and it shows you who's listening at that moment. And mm -hmm. at any point, you can kind of just tap in and start listening and like tune in. And so it's like a super low friction way to like jump into a radio station and listen to some cool music maybe there's like a little bit of like a poolside like angle to it i think they did a really good job on the branding and, and kind of the vibe so those are just like silly kind of fun ideas that would be relatively easy to build then there's like i don't know i'm just pulling up my list to see what it might be worth sharing yeah i mean most of my i probably don't want to share now there, there's one concept that i can't stop thinking about that i i won't share the whole idea but it's generally in the category of helping people start their company and helping people get that nudge to quit their job and build a company. I think going back to what I said earlier about, you know, my path towards towards product and entrepreneurship, I was super fortunate to have a safety net of my parents. You know, I could go back and live at my parents' place if I didn't have a job for a little while. I also had the the opportunity to work part-time and kind of tinker around with some different ideas. That all led to this is sort of like infrastructure and support within the San Francisco kind of like tech ecosystem to start product hunt. And a lot of people don't have that support. They don't have the, those means financially or socially. And so I've, I've been thinking a lot with Vedica who works with me at Weekend Fund about this problem space and how can we ultimately help 
more people start companies. And I think that fundamentally is, is a really good thing for the world. But the, the challenge is figuring out what is the right model and how do we do that at some sort of meaningful scale. So anyway, that's what's on my mind the most, but I'm not sure what's next. So this one thing that has popped up in multiple interviews that you've been a part of, which is that if instead of trying to build a company, you were trying to build just a side project, you would more or less circle back to, okay, what would I want for myself or something from my mm. experience? And that sort of uh, way of thinking just ensures that whatever you build has relevance to some group of people. And that's like a beautiful way to think about what you should be building next. So are there any other things that you've discovered or seen people actively do that just lead to like building better products or better things out of the world? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's certainly one lens. It's, that's what I've used so far to date. And one, one quick add on to that is that when you, when you are the user of the product, it's much easier to empathize for the consumer because you are them. <laughs> it's also probably pretty fun. That was actually one of the reasons why I left Playhaven was I wanted to build something from, of course, that doesn't mean you have to only build products for yourself by any means, especially if you're trying to cure cancer and you don't have cancer. That doesn't mean you shouldn't cure cancer, obviously. So I think a lot of it's about just what are you naturally gravitating towards, whether that's a problem space or a mission. The other reality is like super, super hard. Like maybe you'll get lucky in the beginning, but like you're eventually going to run into some really hard moments. And so if you really believe in that mission or you're really passionate about the space, it's going to be way easier to really push through. The other lenses or or ways of kind of exploring categories is just going deep into specific spaces too and, and interviewing and, and trying to really understand the psyche and everything about a particular user problem or persona. And that can be done through direct interviews, certainly by observing. My friend Greg Eisenberg just published a blog post on the unbundling Reddit. And essentially, he, he sees Reddit as just a wealth of knowledge and information and places to get product ideas, company ideas. And the beauty of Reddit, it's such a big scale. There's a subreddit for every single thing in the world. <laughs> and the reality is you could probably build you know, a, a really strong community that solves a need that that community or that particular subreddit has better than Reddit can because Reddit is a forum. It's designed for a very particular type of interaction. I find that kind of like direction really interesting, exploring deeply a, a community or a space or a persona. What else? I think another lens to look at too is just nascent technologies. And whenever there's a new technology or some sort of platform shift of sorts, whether it's what we saw on mobile, you know, in the early like 2010 kind of timeframe, that that led to a ton of new ideas. Like who would have thought Uber would have existed because of the mobile phone? <laughs> like, it's not like you could have predicted that when you saw the mobile phone. But if you really understood those technologies and tinkered with that space, you might be able to connect the dots to create new solutions to problems that we all have today. And so if I was looking at new technologies, there's, there's a few that are really interesting. I mean, crypto is certainly one that's, that's been very bubbly, but inevitably it will, will lead to a lot of really interesting consumer applications. Another is audio and voice technology, and that's driven largely by AirPods, Bluetooth headsets, smart speakers. We now all have them and no doubt Apple will open up more APIs on the AirPod side, which might open up a whole new avenue for user interaction and, and engagement. One that I'm personally more excited about more recently is VR, which obviously has also been bubbly <laughs> and maybe overhyped in, in previous years. But VR is now getting 
really good. I have a Quest 2. It's only $300, which is relatively affordable. And while there still aren't a ton of killer apps, it's getting to the point where the price point and the quality of the technology is is getting good enough where in a few years, I think we're going to see some really amazing shifts in that space. I'm personally playing with Supernatural a bunch, which is like essentially a fitness app. I do it every day <laughs> and it's amazing. VR is getting to that point where there's a lot of opportunity ahead. There's a bunch of other nascent technologies out there, but those are just like the three that kind of jump out to mind right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When people who are building startups reach out to you for weekend fun, how do you go through them and what are you looking for? What are the common advice that you generally give out? Yeah, so it really varies because we talk to founders who are building a third, fourth company. We also talk to founders who have never built a company before, have no idea how to raise money or anything about it. So it varies quite a bit, but we'll do a call with the founder and, and learn more about the company and do some diligence after that. And that varies in time and, and amount. But ultimately when we, we commit, we try to be the most valuable, like dollar per value. Harry Hurst at Pipe has this like formula. It's like value over cash ratio or whatever. I've, he has a better way of describing it, but Essentially, how do we create the most value for a relatively small check? We write 100 to 200K check size, which in the world of, of venture capital is, is like small. We're not writing like, you know, two, three million dollar checks. But we try to be helpful around uh, a few different areas in particular. One is around product and being kind of like a product thought partner in a sense. Both Vedic and I have product management backgrounds and I've seen a ton of products over the years through Product Hunt. And we just find it really fun. So whether it's like tactical things or strategic thinking, we love to be a thought partner on that. The other is around like community building and helping founders think through how they want to build a community and sharing some tips or advice on, on things that I've gone through with Product Hunt. And then the other areas just around like fundraising, whether it's in the current round, um, we're a small fund. And so the good thing about that is it allows us to be collaborative in the ecosystem and ultimately try to get a bunch of good people around the table. So when we invest, we try to get other good small funds or potential leads or angels involved as well and create a really strong syndicate to, to support the company going forward. That's kind of how we help and support. But ultimately, we're trying not to be too needy. I have seen some investors where they ask for their founder's time and they ask like, hey, let's catch up, let's grab coffee. <laughs> and as a founder, you're super busy and you're like... I don't really want to grab coffee with you, but I kind of feel obligated. And we try not to be like that. We try to be more actionable and just stay up to date with where the company's at and, and proactive where we can help. Mm -hmm. How do you expect founders to reach out to you? This is like one question that everyone over here is like very excited about. In terms of when they reach out, like we've taken calls from cold emails. In fact, I was just emailing with Jason from Flyby. He cold emailed me. <laughs> I forget the exact sub subject line, but it was something like drone deliveries on college campuses. And that caught my eye. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what is he building? This is cool. Certainly I read all emails, but that doesn't mean I take meetings for every email that I get, obviously. Ultimately, whether it's the cold email or when we get on the call with the founder, what we really try to understand is like, what insight do they have or what did they learn that is maybe counterintuitive? And other obvious things like, is there a product in the market? Are people using it? What's the response been? That kind of thing. We do invest early. We've invested pre-product before, but it's much harder to invest when there isn't anything to show, like even a demo. And thankfully right now for most software products, you can build things pretty quickly and easily where 
hopefully you don't need to raise money before you at least have a demo in, in most cases. Obviously, everyone has their own financial needs, so I'm not going to put a blanket statement out there. But I think it's also in the founder's best interest to make sure that they've built something before they raise money, partly because you kind of want to test your own interests in the category in the space. And like, you want to date the idea a little bit before you, you know, get married to the idea. <laughs> and I, I, I equate the, I have an idea, let me go raise money. Like tomorrow is like almost like getting married overnight. It works for some people, but probably not for most. Got it. Got it. Got it. Do you have any advice for people in Gen Z and for Gen Z mafia in general about building a community or doing this stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record maybe, but I, I just think following your curiosities is my number one piece of advice because I think it can apply to pretty much anyone for a lot of different things, not just like professional or tech related things. But I don't know, curiosity is usually if you can find something that's like sparks your interest. Like there's a few things that are that I'm curious about right now. Music has always been one. I, I, I love music and it is a, a death trap of startups. <laughs> And maybe it's not the place I'll ever build a company in, but I do love music and I'm continually curious about that space. There's also some other like alternative medicines. Psychedelics is a space that's increasingly interesting to me. It's just been unfortunate that it's been criminalized uh, for so long and understudied, but that is a, a really fascinating space and, and starting to, I would say mature even more so in, in the most recent years. But yeah, I think figuring out what those curiosities are and, and exploring them, I think is probably what everyone should be doing regardless of your age so one um what has your experience been with burnout so you speak a lot of it <clears throat> in that transition blog and people here were very curious about how to overcome burnouts how to kind of realize that it's not going out and probably taking a break so how has your experience been and how has it shaped your actions yeah um yeah, it's a really personal situation because everyone's is different. Sometimes it might feel like they're burned out from work, but it's actually other things. Like especially this year, COVID has has been rough for a lot of people, and maybe the burnout is a combination of isolation or many other things uh, as well. And so, I don't know. I think burnout is like a really tricky word. I should try to avoid it. I know I mentioned it in the blog post, but I, I tend to avoid it because it's there's like clinical burnout where you're like actually physically unable to function. And I've met, met people who have literally been diagnosed with severe burnout where they couldn't even like read Twitter without getting extremely anxious. <laughs> and then there's like the burnout in the sense of like, I am just depleted and I have zero energy to pursue this idea any longer. I wouldn't say I ever had like full on burnout, but I've definitely experienced levels of depression and feeling of how do I say it? Where work started to feel like work, where I lost some of the joy and, and energy that I used to have. And having gone through that for several weeks, months, it wasn't like a short-term thing. You know, we all go through str struggles. And I think trying to decipher your feelings of whether this is a short-term thing based on maybe circumstance like COVID versus this is like a sustainable like issue because of work or other things. I think that's an important thing to figure out. I maybe came to that realization probably a year or two later than I should have. And I think it's really about like figuring out your truth. What do you get excited about? Where do you get energy? I think once you figure that out and you have confidence in it, then it's hopefully just figuring out how to get to a good place.
uh, whether that's like leaving something that's depleting you or finding something that gives you energy. Mm -hmm. Have you found or discovered something new for yourself for the way ahead, like a new truth or something that pulls you forward ahead? Um, one thing I've realized that maybe seems super obvious in hindsight, but I, I was reflecting on, I think a really good question to ask yourself is like, what gives me energy? And, and that means like, what's the thing that you are excited to start working on or do? And what's the thing that when you're done, you kind of feel more energized than you did when you started. And for me, at a more abstract level, it's always been creating stuff. Even going back to like when I built a tree fort when I was a kid, <laughs> I, I loved it. It was super fun. I built this tree fort and then I never used it. Um, that's the funny thing, actually. It, it was like I enjoyed the process of creating it, even though I didn't use the tree for it. And I just like creating things, especially something tangible. And it doesn't have to be a tree for it, of course. It could be a website. It could be a software product. It could be a physical thing, like it's something in the home. But anyway, that, that's what I get energy from. And I'm trying to think a lot about that. And how do I figure out what my next thing is that's all about creating in some form or another? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And one last question. So what do you think about sharing ideas? Do you think ideas cost anything at all? And when do you think you can share it? When do you think you can't? Yeah. I mean, the typical advice is no one cares about your ideas. You should share them, get feedback. And I think it's generally accurate for most things. I think sharing ideas can lead to serendipity, kind of going back to the serendipity machine concept you know the more you throw out there the more things might happen whether it's people like they get sucked into your atmosphere <laughs> metaphorically speaking or maybe opportunities that might arise so i think generally sharing ideas is a great thing there are certainly cases when maybe you shouldn't share your idea and that might be if there's some sort of unique exploit um, exploit sounds negative but i don't mean that in like a negative sense but like some unique exploit and you have high confidence that this particular exploit can lead to a meaningful business and it's not proprietary, meaning like anyone can kind of copy it really quickly. I think there's things like that that maybe shouldn't be shared, but the reality is 99% of ideas or startups are really all about execution anyway. And so generally it's best to, to share things openly and get feedback and uh, who knows where, where it might go. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. that, that is beautiful. Thanks for doing this. It was absolutely incredible doing this with you. Excellent. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've been your producer, Jacob Petticord. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on Twitter at Gen Z Mafia. Or if you're interested in joining our Discord, head on over to our website, GenZMafia.com. We'll see you next time. But now that the show is over, it's time to build.